When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. I had such a sweet time with my guest today, Lady Kavan. She and I share in the experience of unexpectedly losing our husbands. I found great comfort in my time with her. Through our shared story and our shared grief, we were reminded that we're not alone, not just between the two of us, but to also see who God is in our pain and suffering as individuals. Sadly, she has the added trauma of experiencing this profound loss at the hands of another person during a home invasion in the wee hours of the morning. Unable to understand why this good God would allow such a tragic ending to one of his most devoted saints, she ran from God. In her authentic and genuine struggle, she learned that in order to heal, you have to be vulnerable. How scary is that, right? Because I think we all know that when you look pain in the eye, there are so many layers to that. It digs up all the pain and it makes you question everything. It's too overwhelming to think about. It's too painful to go there. Once you open that lid, will you ever be able to stop crying? Will you ever recover? Who has the stamina and the courage for that? She did. Saying honesty and vulnerability are crucial for restoration. She withheld nothing from God when it came to her emotions and her heartache. This God who said he loved her, but would take from her her precious husband and the father of her children. And yet everywhere she looked, she found him. He turned her escape plans into blessings. All of her deliberate rejections were met with his attentiveness to her needs. Kavan shared many of the precious things that she learned about the heart of God. But the most profound thing that she said to me had to do with finding something to be grateful for on the absolute worst day of her life. And she found it. A distinct fingerprint of God's intimacy with us and confirmation that he is present in the worst possible moments when it seems like evil is winning. I want to welcome my friend Kavan. She's here to talk about losing her husband. And her and I really connected on that because there's so much about what she's experienced that I have too. But for me, she has added trauma to her experience. Tell me, what was life like with your husband, you and your husband? We got married. I don't know if you want to call it young. We were 25. He was, in many respects, people, not just me, like the people around him, he was the saint in the relationship. You know, like how when people are getting married, they usually warn the the guy not to hurt the girl. Everybody was warning me, you know, not to hurt him because he was just such a sweetheart, really lovable, really there for people. I remember when we were getting married at that time, I was nervous, not because the wedding day jitters, but it was that feeling like, how did I get so lucky to be married to this person? I felt unworthy. Unworthy is the name. It's not about luck. I, I genuinely felt unworthy of him. When we got married a year and a half into our marriage, we separated um, And we were separated for six months. And in that six months, God really challenged me about I wanted to stay married or not. At first, I was like, no, God, I I don't want this relationship. I'm not worthy of it anyway. 
I eventually said, okay, God, whatever it is that you want. And I spent um, those six months just really deepening my relationship with God. And he, he called me one day and said, he wants to come home. When he did that, we went into counseling and accountability and we did lots of things and we worked really hard to build our relationship and our marriage to the point where it was quite open and no skeletons in the closet. And he really was my best friend, no holds barred. He was just a phenomenal person. So there was a transition Um, in your heart, even during that six months where you're pressing into the Lord about your worthiness. What is something that you found in that conversation with the Lord? How did you go from feeling unworthy to feeling like, okay, Lord, this is for me. I think healing comes in layers. And Mm. one of the important things when I was close to the beginning of that separation, I was home for six weeks because I was sick. I had just done a surgery and I started to read the purpose driven life by Rick Warren. And it was a deep healing for me. It was coming to realize that I wasn't here by accident, that there was a reason for me being here. And just through that journey, just doing that devotional every day, just coming to an understanding that there is more about me than my my history and that God was willing to heal that pain. Mm -hmm. And I stopped hiding it because a lot of it was hiding the pain, numbing pain so that you wouldn't, when you, when you try to hide pain, you, you try to numb it. When you don't feel it, you can't heal from it because it's like you're putting layers, like you're trying to put not even a bandaid, you kind of hide it. You're Mm -hmm. kind of trying to put a block to it. It, It's not healing. You have to allow the wound to to be open and dressed Mm -hmm. and healed. If you don't recognize that the wound is there, then it doesn't get dressed and healed and put all the ointments that you need on it. So for a long time, I hid my pain. I didn't tell anybody what was really going on with me, things that happened in my childhood, sexual abuse, all of those things. I hid those things, which is part of the reason I felt unworthy. And going through that devotional, you know, the purpose of a life, and then getting back into my marriage where it was no holds barred. So he gave me a space where I could express the pain I felt through that time. And it, it was another stage in my healing. To have that support. Yes. And it is wonderful to have God's support, but that physical support, because we are a people of five senses and to to have your husband come alongside you and give you that space. What a gift that is. It was, it was a phenomenal gift. It was that it was healing. It was going through counseling. It was being in a space where you could be and not feel judged by it. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. When I think about God taking us back to these places where we have our pain and he wants to look at them with us, what, I know what I think he wants to do with that, but what do you think, what is his purpose to take you back there and re-examine what is so painful to us? Because I, I really believe that if you are not able to examine, see, feel, there's a reason he gave us emotions. Our emotions tell us that something is wrong. So when we hide from pain, we are hiding from the telltale factors that pinpoint what really is wrong. The pain is the symptom mm. of what's wrong. So the pain itself is not what's wrong. It's, it's something else that's buried. So when God wants to heal us, he has to show us, okay, this is what you're, this is the pain, but why am I feeling that pain? The underlying mm. factors and how that shaped my thinking how that shaped 
or continues to shape my thoughts and my actions. That's what he wants us to look at. And then when we give it to him, he can heal. It gives you a lot of aha moments when you realize, oh, but this behavior pattern isn't who I am. It's mm-hmm. a it's a symptom of what I've experienced. And then you can change it because then you know the cause. But if you keep thinking, oh, this is just me, my personality, then you you miss what God wants to do deeper, you know? I don't know and if that makes sense. No, it does. It makes complete sense because I believe that God brings us back to heal us. He wants to redefine what mm. we think of ourselves by redefining what we think of him because we blame God for things that we see um, other people manifest to us. And mm-hmm. I think too, he wants to show us a different way with the things we seek out in order to heal ourselves. Like you're saying, yes. you're, you're doing these things you don't, wouldn't normally do, but to hide the pain. And God's like, yeah. no, baby, I want you, I want to heal you. So you don't do that anymore. You know, as you say that, I'm just remembering one of the biggest learnings about myself this year is that I'm a homebody and it might not be strange to you. You haven't known me long enough, but I usually find every excuse to leave my house. Like my mother used to say, I'm always on the road. Like I'd get home and the minute things start to slow, I'd find a reason to go out. And this year, um, in one of those moments where God points you to why you do what you do, he said, my reason or my need to always be on the road to keep busy was always a way to hide from feeling things. So this part of my personality that I thought was me always needing to be up and about, busybody, being out with friends, all of that stuff wasn't quite me. It was me hiding from feeling. And so I think it's just amazing how comfortable I am with being in my house for a couple of days and not be bored because I'm comfortable being with me, with myself and with God. Mm -hmm. and my worship music and it's not that I don't need people and that I'm not a personable person anymore it's just that it's not I don't need it to thrive to live and it's just one of the ways that God continues to heal what a subtle survival technique though yeah you want to just be on the go so you don't have to feel and I know you're probably like me as far as knowing that grief will wait for you if you don't address it or try to process it it will wait for you but I wonder if it's the same thing about our pain that we've gathered along the way in life if we don't deal with it it will wait for you it will wait for you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for sure Sherry you can run you can hide you can be busy buddy but at some point you're gonna be you're gonna end up needing to face that and and that was one of the great things I learned about in 2020 wow you know I always thought it was my personality but right it's not you know turns out it was a survival mechanism (laughs) yeah so moving forward a little bit you come out of the six month uh, separation you're spending time with the Lord and I assume he is too because he comes back wants to come home and then he gives you this beautiful space to be yourself and to be able to tell him what your pain has been and help you heal from that and so you this was probably what two years into the marriage 2010 so that was three years into so three years in and y'all are moving forward and things are looking good Things are looking good. Um, We have our first child in 2011. Then we have our second child in 2014. They're both boys. Loud, you know, always active. But it was 
like we were at a really good place. We were happy. And I was like, God is so amazing of how he can heal. And we had gotten to a place where we felt like our, our marriage was a testimony that there is hope, you know, mm-hmm. after a breakup, after a mess up, after a separation, there is hope. And we were, you know, active in our church and everything seemed to be fine. The weekend before he died, we were actually in the country. We were at the beach with friends hanging out. Of course, all of these things, you know, in retrospect, but it felt mm-hmm. like you're watching this movie and there's a setup. You're watching movies and there's always the happiness and you're like the calm before the storm and everything is perfect and right. peaches and cream. And it was that kind of a weekend. And then we had a, a break-in on the Monday morning, it was probably, I have no good sense of the time, but it was like three, four o'clock in the morning. Um, there was a breaking in my house, um, in our house. I was in the living room because I, I stayed away from the bedroom because I needed to study for an exam that was coming up. So I fell asleep over my books in the living room and I, I woke up with this weird feeling and I opened my eyes and I saw that my front door was open which of course would be strange because you would have locked up before going to sleep. Mm -hmm. And I turned around and I saw a masked stranger in Mm -hmm. my house taking up laptops and stuff that was on the computer table. I screamed and he pointed the gun to my face. Um, That scream woke up my husband and he came rushing out asking what was wrong. And he was much bigger than the intruder and so now um they started to tussle because he was now towering over the person the gun was at me so he came up behind the person there was a tussle I heard gunshots I smelt smoke gunpowder and then I saw my husband fall to the floor he then locked us all the whole family my mother was there a friend of mine was there my older son woke up with all the commotion and we were all taken to a back room and locked away. Meanwhile, my baby was in his crib by himself in the room. Separated from you. From me. And I had no idea what was happening with him or what was going on outside. And it felt like a very long time, but it was Mm. terrifying. They kept asking where the money was, all of that stuff. And he um eventually asked for the key to leave we weren't sure how they entered the room or how they got in but he asked for the side door key so that he wouldn't have to leave through the front um I told him where it was and then after a while we heard silence so I came out nervously out of the room and went to see if we could find a way to call the police and that was it in a few moments um my picture of happiness right crashed and I could not believe the scene I could not I think in that point I shift my mind shifted into survival mode we tried to get into the hospital Mm. and I think when I had to leave him there I went my mind retreated to another place completely I think I was just who right not there like what just happened it felt like I was watching some it almost out of body experience like I was mm-hmm. watching somebody else's life I was watching something happen that could not be real I feel like shock is your friend in moments like that yep I okay. would agree 
I think it's your brain's way of protecting you from going crazy. It's your brain shutting down all of your, what would have been your natural responses in order to slowly come to grips with what was happening. I sat outside in the car watching a yellow tape around my house Mm -hmm. and seeing police officers go in and out. And I was like, this cannot be true. And I kept praying as like, God, I'm expecting a miracle. I'm expecting the hospital to call me to say he woke up. I'm expecting something else. And I was just, I couldn't even cry at Mm -hmm. that point. I I don't remember crying. I just remember staring off into space, like what just happened? Like, you know, it's true, but you don't make a connection with it's true. Yeah, like it 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 didn't feel real mm-hmm. at all. And I, I don't remember a lot about what happened after I came back from the hospital. Some of my memories is what my friends tell me I was doing. Mm-hmm. Like one of my friends told me that I was rolling on the ground. Somebody told me I was I was just praying and I was praying out loud. I have no right. real recollection of those things. Right. I think, yeah, like I said, my mind retreated to another place. Because I think back when we got my husband to the emergency room and they had him on that steel gurney bed, he, they told me he'd passed away. They let us in there to see him. My husband has a large family. And so they start coming, close family friends and stuff start coming. And I'm receiving them in the room like, oh, this is not my um, dead husband's body laying here on the table. But I remember in that moment, I didn't, it was, I wasn't out of touch because I was holding his hand. I felt his hand getting colder. I don't know. When I look back at that moment, I'm thinking, what in the world were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, you weren't thinking. You're right. It, it, you, you weren't processing yet, no. maybe, or your brain was processing on a subconscious level. I don't know what it is, but I think, like you said, it's, it's your friend. Shock is your friend Yeah. for those few moments until you need to process what's happening. Yeah. Because driving away from the hospital, what was your experience? I'm just driving away thinking, I don't know. I I know I left him in there in the hospital room, in the emergency room, but I'm thinking, oh, I don't know. He'll be home. It just felt oh, eerie calm. It's yeah, a but disconnected. Eerie, disconnected calm. I drove home on autopilot and yes. maybe some parts of my head kept on thinking. I mean, like I, 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 I couldn't live. I couldn't sleep in that house mm. after that. Like we literally packed up clothes and yeah. I went to my mother-in-law's house and somehow every time I heard a car drive up I was expecting mm. him to walk through the door I was ex- like subconsciously you're wondering could it be real was it all right. a joke am I gonna wake up like you sleep and you your eyes pop open and you're wondering if that experience was the dream and now you're gonna yeah. wake up to real And when you wake up and you realize, oh, no, I'm still at my in-laws house, which means that what I think is real is really real, Mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're coming into consciousness. Yeah. It hits you. All over again. Yeah. For a split second, you're like, okay. And then you're not okay. As far as your, your reality settles in. So I can totally, sadly, I can totally relate to that. But grief releases little by little and therefore you start processing what were some of the questions that you had for God where were you where were my angels you know you said angels and camp around those who fear him where were my angels where were you 
why would you let this happen? We were good. We worked hard at church. We did all the things that we were supposed to do. I remember part of him, you know, or reuniting, God told me one day point blank that I needed to open myself to him fully. And I said, him meaning my husband. And I said, God, why would you ask me to open up myself and be so vulnerable to someone who you know would not be here in a few years? That's not fair. Mm-hmm. Um, why me? Why didn't you take me? You know, he's the good one. Mm-hmm. Um, you experience survivor's guilt. Like, yes, you're happy that um, it could have been all of us, but I wanted to be the one that mm-hmm. went, you know? Right. It would have felt like I deserved that. Well, God said it wasn't my time. Right. And at the time, I just, I couldn't process that. I was like, I can't serve a God who would allow something like that to happen to his servant, somebody who was always dedicated to him, always loving people and sacrificing for people. I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around that. I couldn't understand it. You're right. What happened to the angels? What happened to this protection that, you know, no evil comes near your tent? Well, yeah, the evil came not just near your tent, but in your tent, in your In home. my tent, in my home. This didn't happen outside. This didn't happen on the road. This was in my home with my children, with my mother, with my friend. And it was difficult to wrap my head around that thought, that concept, that God would allow this. And so in that processing, um, I told God, I'm done. I share that with you. I told God that I, I can't do this anymore. It doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm done. I'm serving you. I wrote a devotional and in the devotional, the first one was called the Christian bubble. And it was, it was expressing that emotion that a lot of us feel like deep pain and suffering should all be pre-Christ, before Christ gets into your life. So you expect that nothing really bad ever happens to you after that. You have hiccups in life. You might lose a job, but God provides. Um, you might, you know, break down on the side of the road, but God always provides some sort of aim. It's It's like the major things in life cease to exist after Christ I I distinctly told God that that was what I felt and I felt like he betrayed my trust with that but then God always pursues you and then you you read the scripture broader and after a while you realize that he said in this world you will have trouble he never lied he told us the truth he said it in this world you will have trouble but I will deliver you from it all. He spoke about, you know, like in Hebrews, where it talks about all the people who suffered great things for the gospel, who suffered for their family, who suffered so that um, Christ would be known. These people weren't less Christians. They didn't live in a Christian bubble. To be with Christ for them was a sacrifice every day. Um, To be with Christ and to declare Christ was really a matter of life and death every day. And so sometimes in our Western context, in our comfortable Christianity, we forget the reality 
that the people we laud and uphold in our scriptures suffered great things. And they, I mean, half of our letters in the New Testament were written from a prison cell. It was never, God didn't lie to me. Um, he told me that there would be trouble, but you know, some, some things he said point blank, you won't understand in this lifetime. He says like, for now you'll see through a mirror dimly, but in the end, when we are face to face, you will know. And so some things I had to wrestle with and understand that I would never understand why he had to go that way. But what I do know is that God was there. Like I said, it could have been all six of us that night. Right. And he said to the enemy, you can come this far, but no more, mm. you know? Um, and again, usually you realize a lot of lessons in retrospect and it's the the tricky thing about painful experiences is that you never want to wish them on anybody mm. but you realize there's so many lessons you learn through your pain that you would not have learned in the comfort of comfortable christianity if you want to call it that but, i agree i agree because when you're going through your time of questioning saying i'm done I can't do this. This doesn't make any sense to me, but yet he's still pursuing you. So you're still asking him questions. He's still presenting himself. And you're right. He did tell us there would be trouble that, that, that yeah, it's going to yeah. be painful, but the beauty of what he gives us adding to what you're sharing is his presence in mm, every yep. situation. So what is he, how is he pursuing you? So it was, a little, it was little and big things. It was things like the following year. So this happened, I lived in Jamaica at the time. And in the context of Jamaica and back to school in September is that parents would have to purchase all the books. We wear uniforms. So uniforms have to be purchased. Books have to be purchased. School fee has to be paid. So it's not free. And so here I was facing a new school year with two boys and one salary. And I was scared out of my mind. I did not know how I was gonna make this work. Cause he, yeah, it was just one of us. Um, and I remember I got a message from somebody, not even like um, a close friend, but somebody I knew of, knew. And they said, can you share your book list with me for your kids? So I found it strange and I was like, okay, sure. So in my expectation, I was probably thinking she would probably just say, I'm going to get this book. Um, she came back a few days later and she says, your entire book list is covered. And I, I didn't know how to even say thank you properly because right. I was shocked. Right. It was like, it was like that. And I got somebody else who, decided to pay the school fee for that year this is after I told God I was done and like you would still provide that's kind of strange or it was weird ways that people would reach out to me that would know of my situation know Chris his name was Christopher that knew him and would suddenly send me a message on Facebook or they would say I got your number from so and so and God said to tell you and I would roll my eyes I'm like 
I really don't want to hear this right now, but it was like a seed in your head, like God pursuing you. I remember somebody from overseas said they got my number from so-and-so and God told me to send you money for the boys. And the timing was what was weird. It wasn't like at a time where I was kind of okay. It was right at the moment where I was trying to figure out how to pay a specific bill. And when I tell you, Sherry, they sent me the amount, like I may, maybe like maybe a dollar over the amount. So say mm-hmm. I needed $200, they sent yeah. me like $202. Right. Like wow. when I say exact provision, yeah. it was weird because this is not somebody I talked to. Mm-hmm. And they would just, and I'd be like, God, side eye. Okay. <laughs> See what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't ready to, I wasn't ready. I, I, I kind of saw it and I kind of was grateful, but it didn't hit home yet. You know right. what I mean? Right. You still um, had your wall up. At what point did it change for you? At what point did you soften your heart toward the Lord? When I moved to a different country, <laughs> uh, even in that, how I got here was a whole other story of how quickly that came through. But I got here. Um, healing comes in layers. Mm-hmm. Um, healing does come in layers. Um I remember even before I got to Canada, I, I danced, I had a dance group and I told my leader where I was at. I told them that I'm not sure, sure. I believe anything, but it's an outlet for me. She's, this is a dance ministry. So she said, I'll still let you dance. So there was that. But then I remember I got through to come to Canada, even in the dance process. I remember the last concert we did, I was in tears for the whole time. Like I cried through every dance. Mm still got healing. And then I got to Canada and I said, you know what, I'm going to try to find a church. And this time I'd be there. Nobody would know who I am. Nobody knew my story. I wouldn't have to worry about people giving you that look, you know, like you step into a room and you know, everybody knows your story. Right. And you kind of wonder if people are talking to you because they know that your story or they're talking to you because they genuinely want to be mm. around you or with you. Right. So I was happy to be in a new church home where nobody knew me. Nobody knew my name. I could just slip in and slip out. I'll do my duty. I'd just sit in church. I had a friend who told me, I know God's word is going to taste like cardboard to you, Mm. but still eat it anyway. Mm. And so I would read my Bible and roll my eyes while I read it. I would go to church and be cynical in my head but keep a smile on my face and a bless the Lord. Hallelujah. And when I went to this church, they started a series on the love of God and they were talking about Ruth and Naomi and how Naomi was bitter because she had lost her husband. Right. And something in that message broke my wall and I ugly cried in church for the whole service. Nobody Mm -hmm. knew me. And why this lady was ugly crying, like, ugly crying for the whole service mm-hmm. and um they had an altar call and I went up and the lady prayed for me and mm-hmm. she prayed that God's love would just penetrate my heart right. and oh, that feeling of his presence is yeah. everything yeah. 
mm-hmm. that feeling like he was hugging you mm-hmm. and um, draining all of the misery and the anger right. and the disappointment and the fear, the fear of being happy again, the fear of starting over, the mm-hmm. fear that feeling I cannot describe or explain but it was what I needed Hmm. and I love that nothing is wasted he wraps it up as part of his story with us our running our anger our denial our side eye and he takes it and he folds it into the story and he doesn't hold it against us it's his faithfulness that is so incredibly persuasive uh to my heart i know that what sort of identity crisis are you having at this point, you've left Jamaica, moved to Canada. I mean, that's already a climate um, (laughs) change, a culture change. You are, you know, without your roots, if you will, because the foundation of that is your family and support system. So now you're in this vulnerable spot because you feel vulnerable to God too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt vulnerable and it was provision coming here. Um, not in the sense that people would expect, you know, you're coming from a third world country to a first world country, but it was in that quietness and being in a new place and needing to lean on him mm. and needing to figure out me, to define me outside of my friends, beside outside of the people who knew me. Mm. I mean, you can imagine that our circles were quite intertwined right so it was figuring out who who is Kavana what am I capable of doing leaning in and Canada is quite different getting up and going wasn't something that was easy to do when I came here before I always had a car I, when I got here first I couldn't get a car so everywhere I thought about going you'd have to think about jumping on a bus so it slowed my life right down and it allowed God to show me the places that were still hurting Mm. and like I always say healing healing happens in layers and so some of the things I thought some of the wounds I thought were completely healed he showed me that there was still more healing to do there was still more and it's been in this time that he's been showing me lots of things about who I am and and my purpose and how he is able to heal. Like, I cannot believe I'm not crazy. Mm. Like, I'm not committed to a hospital mentally. You know what I mean? Because of how God heals, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I can't believe, like, sometimes I think back, I, I remember you were telling me that you were looking at that post I made about P.S. I love you. Sometimes yeah. it's incredible to me that God was able to heal my heart so I could love again. Like mm-hmm. I could get married again. I could have somebody in my life and not be worried every right. day. That's healing. That's that's deep healing. That's something I think, not I think, I know it's only God's provision that is able to do that. I agree. His value system and his presence being a way of filling you up and healing those places because to me he's all about restoration 
Yep. He's all about restoring what was lost, restoring what was lies, you know, that we believe. And he's about showing us who he is. If we take the time to discover who he is Yes. Now, being in Canada, I mean, that's a form of isolation from everything that you've had for a support system. And that could go one of two ways. That could be Satan, Satan's playground isolation, or it's, you know, you turned it into the Lord's. Do you think it was his Mm -hmm. faithfulness? Was there anything you were doing that was in engaging God or was it just simply his faithfulness because that's enough really it is enough but I think Sherry in order to heal you have to be vulnerable healing isn't hiding your pain and healing is definitely not smiling glory hallelujah everything's fine right it is being really honest with God and I think that is why God called David a man after his own heart you see some of those times where, where David is really like pressing God about, you know, why is he going through this? And the truth is he was really honest. I tried to be very honest. Like I think in the last few years, I've just learned to tell God exactly what I was feeling. I remember reading a quote from C.S. Lewis that said something to the effect of you have to give him who we are, not who we think we are. Mm-hmm. And so I learned to be really frank with God. If I was hormonal, I'd tell him, God, I'm hormonal. And, you know, this is what I'm feeling. God, I am frustrated. I'm angry with you. I don't want to talk to you today. Not sugarcoating it. Because I got to the point of realizing he knows what I'm thinking anyway. So there's no point in hiding it. And I have a lot of these bathroom conversations like I'm in the shower and I'm just talking to God. I'm like, I, I really, I don't understand what you're doing and I don't understand why do I have to go through so much pain. I would just tell him exactly what I was thinking and what I was feeling respectfully, of course. Sometimes I didn't feel respectful because we were kind of taught to sugarcoat things with God. But if he knows my deep thoughts, I'm, I just... I got to a place where I could not hide anymore. I spent lots of my years trying to hide and trying to be pretty and trying to have it all together. And I do not have it together. And I do not know what to do. And I don't know how to proceed. And I just tell him really honestly where I was. Honestly, sometimes I'd cry myself and I would feel not like physically, but I would just feel a sense of hush come over me and I'd go to sleep and I'd wake mm-hmm. up the next morning better. Mm-hmm. And not because anything changed, but just a, like a peace that passes understanding. And I think he does that whenever we are really open. The scripture says, don't be anxious about anything, but with all things, with prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, make right. your things, your requests known to God. But in this case, it's like, just give it, give it to him, cast, cast it, like, say, this, this is what it is, and the solution doesn't always come, but what comes is peace, and a a strange presence that I'm not fixing the situation, but I'm fixing you. That's good, because that's that bigger love story that he's writing with us as an individual, where he pierces that which we have to experience here, and gives us his beautiful presence, because it does, it is peace, And sometimes I don't necessarily feel him or hear him, but the peace is there. So I know that it's him. Yeah. 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 You make a good point about being honest and transparent with the Lord. And that's how I was because like you, that God knows what you are 
thinking, so there's no need in hiding, but also too, because when you're in relationship with someone, you need to be able to be transparent and authentic with them. But also I remember the story of Jacob. Remember when he wrestled with the angel with God and mm-hmm. he asked Jacob, what's your name? Because the last time he talked about his name, he had lied to his father about who he was. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so when Jacob said, my name is Jacob, the Lord was like, let's do this because now that you're going to be honest with me, I'm ad living now, but now that you're going to be honest with me, then I can work with you. But if yep. you're not going to address what this problem is or what this issue is, then I cannot engage so you. Yeah. So that good. is one of the reasons why I am also transparent and authentic with the Lord. And I think that authenticity, I try to, to translate with my readers too, but then I'm thinking too, in retrospect, that first time when, you know, my marriage almost failed and I got to a place of openness with God. And then God said, be open and honest with your husband. It was in that transparency again that a measure of healing started to happen mm-hmm. because then I'm exposing, I'm not hiding. I think the enemy works in this darkness. When you don't expose how you're feeling to God, it gives air for the enemy or space for the enemy to say things like you're not worthy and you believe it because you're having this whole conversation with the enemy in your head and you haven't released it to God for God to tell you something else. Right. 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 To, and to speak truth into your heart, you know, to speak truth into your heart. Yes, you're right. I think when we give God that which is painful to us, then that does open that door, that openness you're talking about to come in and give us that healing you're speaking of, too. So that's that's a, a beautiful trade off if we're going to give him our pain. Yeah, it is. This thought is coming to me like, you know, God said he's going to he gives us the ability to choose and he already gave us that choice. He doesn't take away our ability to choose. So he will not come barging barging into the door and say, give me your pain. Mm -hmm. I'm going to heal it. Right. You have to give it to him because you have dominion over your own body, your own thoughts. He gave that to you. And it's part of the deal. He says, I give you the ability to choose, choose this day, what you're going to do, life, death, who you're Mm going to serve me, something else. And it's always a choice. And so it's the reason why you have to surrender your pain. Mm -hmm. You can't hold it. He can't do anything. If you're holding on to it, we have to give it to him. Holding on to it and turning it over and over in our heads, believing lies, things like, I think that's a form of worship for Satan. I mean, he gets a payoff with that. And so therefore that's worshiping Satan. Whereas if we give it to God, he brings us into this place of healing and wholeness and Mm -hmm. is layered. Like that point that you made earlier about healing being layered. I do believe God has healed me in layers, sometimes taking me back to areas uh, that I feel like we'd already been through and Mm -hmm. already settled it. But then he shows me, no, there's something else that's contributing to your survival skills that Mm -hmm. are experiencing right now. And I want to heal that. So even bringing us back to that pain, it's not to hurt us, it's to heal us. This is a two-part question. I'm going to look back at a little reflection with your regrets and then look at what you are grateful for. So when you look back at your tragedy and what happened, do you have any regrets about what you experienced or maybe how you responded or any regrets that come to your mind, if any? (sighs) Regrets. I mean, to regret the whole situation happened but outside of that um yeah um outside of that I think one of the things that was crucial is that I remember I was sharing with you that conversation I had with 
Christopher the day mm. before everything happened, where we were just being honest and open about where we were with each other. Right. I think that conversation meant that I didn't feel like there was something I needed to tell him that I left unsaid, which is which is why I'm a big big advocate of sharing how you feel with the people who mean a lot to you. Mm-hmm. Because that was, I can't imagine walking around thinking that he didn't know mm. how I felt or so I don't have that regret. Mm. I would be tempted to regret my response to God, but I don't because it mm. was honestly where I was. And in that honesty is what was enabling him to heal me. I think if I didn't allow myself to be where I was at and do the churchy thing of plowing through, continuing life as normal, covering my pain or hiding my pain, which is what I would typically do, then he wouldn't have been able to do deeper healing. Mm -hmm. And so I am grateful that I allowed myself to be where I was at that taught me another beautiful lesson about God pursues his beloved you know Mm. like he pursued me he pursued me I remember when I met my now husband we were just friends to be quite honest Sherry I said he was going to be one of the ways that I was going to run away from God and he said to me the best parts of you have to do with the Lord you need to go back to church. And I was so mad at God. I was like, how dare you use my escape plan to try to get me back to you? Mm-hmm. And um, I was mad. Right. But it was just one of the ways that God pursues you. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't force me to be where I wasn't at, but he always left reminders. He always said, you know, phone ways to tell me, hey, I'm still here. I still want to be with you. I still love you. I still want you close. You know, I mean, with God pursuing you like that, you know, what option do you have but to surrender at some point? That's a, a powerful combination of him continually pursuing, continually giving us our freedom, and continually being faithful even when we're out chasing other shiny objects. Is there anything that you can see that shows God's kindness even in death? I do know you mentioned that, granted, you lost your husband, but it could have been all of you. Is there anything else that comes to mind at the moment? Yeah. Um Again, I, I was writing about this one day. I dared myself to think because I was challenging people on gratitude. Mm. And I said, you know what? I'm going to think of my darkest day and I'm going to think about what I could be grateful for on that day. Because if mm. I can find something to be grateful for on that day, mm. there is no other day that mm. I can't find something to be grateful for. And I remembered in my thinking that the... The criminals, they, they took everything that was electronic in the house, all the phones, all the laptops, all of those things. And right there on top, in a very prominent place, was a new tablet that my husband had purchased for our son. It was supposed to be his Christmas present, and it was right on top. It would have been above his eye level, but it was right there in the box, mm-hmm. still new. Mm-hmm. And they would have gone through searching for money in the house, and it was right there for the whole time. Mm. and they did not see it and so we were able to still give my son Mm. the last gift that his father bought him right that Christmas wow he still has it today I will never Mm. ever let it go and when it dies I'll probably frame it but 
it was a very small way that God said, I'm still looking out for you and your kids. Um, when I say they took everything and it was just strange because it wasn't hidden in a back closet or anything. It was right there. Right. They didn't take it. I'm grateful. So even in your darkest day, you can find something to be thankful for. Yep. I know you will never make sense of it. I still haven't made sense of my husband at his age. And I think your husband was younger. Mine was 52. How old was your husband? 33. 33. 33 years. Christ's number. 33. Three. Oh. And his name was Christopher. The parallel is not lost. <laughs> hmm. Christ bearer. He died at 33 sacrificing for his family it was deep and symbolic and um he was just an honorable man and he parted an honorable man as well yeah Hmm. he did heavy but beautiful beautiful and heavy it is Is there anything that you want to add that I have not asked about for our listeners who might be trying to recover from either a tragedy such as yours or giving God their anger and their frustration? Um, I think we've said it, but I think a key part to healing on any level is allowing yourself to feel. Mm -hmm. God gave us emotions so that we can feel them. It's maybe a tricky balance to feel them, but not let them rule you. And you do that by just surrendering those to God. I believe grief comes in waves. And when I feel the grief wave, I, I allow myself to cry. I allow myself to feel it. And then I tell God what about it. But then there is a moment where the feeling subsides and there is the tendency to want to hold on to it because we feel like continuously feeling that emergent and urgent pain um, is a way to hold on to what we've lost, whether that's a person or a thing. But we have to learn to release it when it's going. And when the wave comes back, we allow ourselves to feel it, express it, and let it go. And it, it, it remains painful always, but your ability to handle the wave changes. Just like when you're exercising, at first you can't lift a five pound weight easily, but then eventually you can lift more. It's not that the weight's changed, your ability to handle the weight changes. Mm-hmm. I would say, be vulnerable to God. And you would be amazed at how he's able Mm. to take even the most painful things and give you peace instead. Right. You can trust him with those things. Mm. You're at a beautiful place again in your life. You're married again. Yeah. Yeah. And your sons are thriving. Any more children added? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. We'll see how that one goes. When you think about the tragedy and the dark days that you were walking it out, what is something beautiful that God would have spoken to you in the dark? I love you, Mm -hmm. all of you. The reason why that last part, like all of me was significant is because I walked around feeling 
less than and unworthy for a long time. Mm. And so to discover that love himself, God, mm. who is love, not just does love, exhibits love, shows love, but the person who is love, loves me. It was life transforming and it still is. There is a quote, I use it for my, my e-group. It's a quote from my book, I'm loved by love himself. Mm. And I remind myself of that all the time. I am loved by love himself. And when it gets hard and when it gets like, I, I don't understand what happened, what's happening. Like, why isn't my life going the way I think it should? Just that thought that he reminded me that I am love and I love you. That settles me all the way down because if I'm loved by love himself, anything that's happening to me is well within his control and he's teaching me something and he's working something out in the situation that I can't find out any other way. So I'll just wait for the lesson, mm -hmm. the reason to reveal itself, but I'm loved and that means I can make it through this. You're telling me that no matter what comes upon us, specifically in this context, bad pain comes upon us. This origin of love has power over that, but there's something about himself that he wants to reveal to you in this context. And like yes. you said earlier, and I'll vouch for that, what I have experienced about him, I would not have known other than in the context with which I have sought him out. Yes. So the origin of love loves us, extravagantly loves us and continually yes. calls and draws us and continually wants to pour himself out into us. No matter. I appreciate you. You are dear to my heart. Thank you for being transparent. Thank you for sharing exactly who God is to you in pain and suffering. Thank you for having me. It was just, it was lovely meeting you. You're such a light. <laughs> I yeah. love your, your smell. Yeah. Your tears are very refreshing to me. It's as if it's washing my spirit just to watch you pour out and to be authentic in your emotions. Thank you. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.